If you're looking for a partner to help you with marketing, I highly recommend you reach out to Andrew Lowen at Next Level Web. In the last year, Andrew and his company have helped board game creators raise more than $2 million on Kickstarter, and 91% of those campaigns funded in the first 24 hours, and 74% of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They have a system that works and offer solutions ranging from helping you build ads for your project all the way to fully managing your marketing campaign. So if you're looking for a reliable marketing partner for your upcoming campaign, visit nextlevelweb.com kickstarter and fill out a contact form. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com. Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast, a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're going digital to analog. We're talking about what does it look like to design a board game based on a video game. How do you do that? How do you design it? How do you publish it? What are, what are all the different things to be thinking about? And we're talking to Perry Burkham from Game Decks. Perry, welcome to the show. Well, hello, Gabe. Thank you for having me. Yeah, man, really excited to have you here. You've got some really interesting games that you've already done and some games in the works and some games that I'm not allowed to talk about that I, I think are going to be really cool. And uh, too bad <laughs> we can't get into those, but hopefully people will listen to this and, uh, and be want, you know, we can want to check. We can record a future one. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully, hopefully people will listen to this and then want to go check out the different games you got and, and then see that really cool stuff you have coming down the pipe. But uh, yeah, really excited to talk to you about this. As far as like, what does it look like? Because I know a lot of video gamers find board games and they kind of come with that culture and they want to bring that culture into board games. And what does that look like? And how do I translate things? And there's a lot of board game players and board game designers that love video games. They want to bring in new IPs and new ideas. And so, yeah, just really excited to get the, mm-hmm. uh, the inside scoop on how, how do you do that? How do you get the, the rights? How do you design these games? How do you, you know, publish them? All that. Mm, but before, yeah. before we get into it, who are you? How'd you get into game design? All that kind of thing. Yeah. So again, I'm Perry. Um, I, uh, work uh, with a video game company called Atui. Um, I got in. Uh, I started off doing music for them, uh, and then uh, became uh, very close with uh, with the the lead guy there, and uh, you know got involved in tons of game design discussions, and eventually just started uh, collaborating on game design with him. Um, and uh, we have tons of projects going on and uh one of the things that he was working on uh well i wanted to build this idea for a board game platform uh the idea that kind of like uh kind of like how uh you see uh something on the shelf something that's small kind of like a playstation vita case or just uh i thought this idea of what if what if there was this platform this, this board game platform that was based off of video game franchises, one that was self-contained, um, one that you didn't need to collect them all, uh, one that you could just buy the ones that you love uh, as a video gamer and play them. And what if they actually took cues, tons of different cues from the lore, from the gameplay style from those games and infused them into it so you could really get as deep as you can uh, all while having a nice uh, little, I mean, it's actually a big tabletop game that fits inside of a deck of cards. So um, 
we came to this idea and uh, we pitched this to Limited Run Games, which is a uh, a video game publisher that kind of specializes in doing a limited uh, print games uh, of, you know, sometimes they do huge, huge games. Um, they've been doing a bunch of them lately. Uh, they've just, uh, they're about to publish Castlevania uh, collection. Um, and, uh, and a lot of times though, that, you know, they do some of the smaller indie games that don't really get a chance at the, at the retail market. So we thought, Hey, per- I mean, we are huge fans of limited run perfect opportunity here what if we were together and we utilized uh some of the franchises and games that you've uh published and are publishing in the future maybe like if my my whole point is like how cool of a collector's item when you get your new video game is that oh my goodness it comes with a board game that is based off of this game a completely new game that you get uh, with the game. Uh, and so that's how it came to be essentially. And we've been growing ever since and wanting to get more crazier and, uh, and bigger IPs as we grow. Yeah, that's really cool. And I think it's super smart to partner with a company that I assume already has the rights to these things that you could just kind of fall right in line with that. Is that right? Yeah. So it, it really is all relational. Um, it's all about, you know, talking with the actual IP owners, uh, and, and, and pitching them, uh, the products. What I do is I actually, uh, I actually design and prototype games before I approach people. I kind of want to hand, I kind of hand them, you know, on a golden platter, like, Hey, like, look at this, look how cool this is. Let's do this. And, uh, we work with the video. It's, it's really more working with the actual video game designers. Um, and then we publish through limited run, and they handle distribution and everything, um, and our and and our campaigns and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's really more of a, of a relational thing, honestly, uh, which is a lot of fun. I, I really really enjoy that because it's fun to get to know the people behind some of my favorite games as well. Yeah, that's really cool, and I love the idea of pitching to a company to say, "Hey, you could have this really cool limited edition board game type version of your video game to make it special and also to get people to order directly from the company as opposed mm-hmm. to going to Walmart or something like that." It's like, you know, I know a lot of musicians will do this. They will combo t-shirts or, you know, art uh, posters and stuff like that. That way people buy directly from them because they make a whole lot more money when they do that and they can charge a little bit more cuz it's this special edition thing. And so mm-hmm. was that kind of part of the the pitch as well? Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, that's the the whole thing. It, there's just so many things that we went for. I mean, it, it kept growing and growing and growing. Uh, the initial, initial concept was a t- what is something that we can put inside of a CD um, to sell with a soundtrack? Uh, we were going to we were going to do a soundtrack and we're like, OK, we could sell these, but this is a tough sell uh, by itself. Um, without a huge market and blah, blah, blah. So what could we do? I was like, hey, what about a card game? That would like, what about like a little pack of 20 cards, you know, and it's just a little fun game in there. And then it kept going and kept going and kept getting bigger. And then wait a second, what if this was a platform of games? And then it got even bigger and it was like, forget the CD, <laughs> you know? But um, it got to that point where we were, like it started off as as an addition and then it was like okay this just makes sense as a platform we can connect games together and also separate them and like maintain their identities so it was uh exactly so like like with with 
with a new IP, it's a perfect collector's edition for them to work with. And the, like you said, the limited access, we have special editions. Um, the, the, the most rare, absolute rare, hard to find that will one day be worth lots of money is in the Atui Collection 3DS release. We released a, um, a limited edition orange cover with a, with a gold foil stamped cover uh on it and those were only made for that and you'll never see those ever again and uh (laughs) it was so rare that we even got when we ordered them uh i don't have any of them because uh of our first pressing and stuff it just i only have a few of them so they're rare to me even so uh, it's it's just really fun so that's that's the fun thing is we're hoping to do a bunch of them every year yeah, and there seems like there's lots of interesting avenues that you could take as far as like the special edition stuff you're talking about. Also, the bundling mm-hmm. of other items in there together. It's really interesting. I want to talk a little bit more about publishing in a little bit, but let's get into like the actual game design because sure. I feel like a lot of people could see this and go, oh, this is just a gimmick. Oh, you're just trying to get a little extra money, but that's that's not the case. Like You're actually designing a legitimate game, a, a system that you're, you're yeah. doing your absolute best. I've seen videos. I've seen playthroughs and whatnot. I mean, these are these are games. Uh, they're super oh, yeah. accessible, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but tell me, tell me a little bit more or maybe like what would be your pitch to someone who says, sure. oh, this is just a gimmick. Like, What would you say to them? Oh, well, you know, uh, every game is designed with the video game in mind. Uh, we currently have two. One hasn't been announced yet, so I won't talk about it. Um, but it's a different style of game. But our our first uh, four games we have going are party games. Uh, and what I mean by that is they, they play like a standard board game, very similar to if you've ever played Mario Party. Um, very similar to that sense, you know, roll dice, go around the board, uh, buy upgrades uh, and you're trying to get, you're trying to collect something around the board. Um, And so when people, so the last thing we wanted to do is do anything like Simpsons Monopoly, (laughs) you know, where we just reskin everything with a new, uh, with a new, uh, I mean, with the same game, but with new artwork. Yeah. Yeah. So every single game has a different, different level cards that you can build uh, your boards with. Uh, Even we put unique cards in each one to give new pathways possible uh, with it. Uh, I I don't know if you're familiar with Carcassonne. Um, That's like one of my favorite tabletop games of all time. And it was fun getting expansions for it. And it's always like new possibilities of what like you didn't like, oh, like, there's just infinite possibilities that you can do with that game. So that's kind of the idea here where you can get new pieces that do different things in each game. So where, um, in, uh, in, in mutant muds, uh, in deluxe, our first game, they have jump pads in them. And what happens when you land on a jump pad is it literally throws you in the direction of the arrow to whatever space you land on first. So it can, it's a really big part of you can get you to go places you don't want to go. It can also be exactly where you want to go and can throw you across the board. Uh, and then we take that to a different level where uh, on, on our next one in Super Challenge, Mutant Mud Super Challenge, these are two distinct different games. Uh, and in that one, we have jump pads, but you have to pay. They're toll jump pads is what we call them. You have to pay one point to use them. So they're optional. So you can see how what that does uh, to just this, just that simple concept. Suddenly, 
maybe I don't have any points to use and that stinks because I really wanted to go or um, I don't actually want to use it. So it just that simple, literal, tiny little change in game design can expand and so much. And then suddenly, oh my goodness, I can put all these things together. So I could have, I could chain them together. So I can chain a jump pad that will land another jump pad, which will throw me to another place, you know? Um, And so uh, every game has a unique hook based off of the video game, at least one. Um, And I guess we could go into the features of each game if you wanted to, I guess if that's a good segue, like, um, into the how each one is original yeah for sure let's talk about that in just a second but first i think i think it's really smart from a business standpoint to have this platform kind of idea like you were talking about before like with legos um you know you you can buy the spider-man lego you can buy the star wars whatever and you can build the set but then also you could add those things together you could put indiana jones inside of an x-wing if you want to and everything works together and so i think it's really smart especially when your games are from a, from a similar genre, like as far as I know, like so far they're, they're platforming games and like they at least kind of fit and it's a similar audience that's going to be interested in these different games. And, and also sure. the way your game plays, it has a platforming kind of vibe. I think, you know, totally. Mario hopping Party. around on plat. I mean, literally, yeah. Like hopping around on platforms, literally, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So it worked. Yeah. And I think that's smart. And having a Mario Party type vibe is brilliant. I mean, almost everybody's played Mario Party in some form or fashion mm-hmm. or at least knows what it is. And they'll have that kind of concept. And anyone who's played it, has probably thought, hey, this feels kind of like a board game. And so, mm-hmm. you know, meshing all these things together, I think is super, super smart. And so, yeah, let's let's dive into the design choices and mechanisms of how do you make each game feel unique, but also feel like the, the video game to a certain degree. I feel like that can be challenging. I know there's been a lot of video games turned into board games that it mm-hmm. just didn't have the same vibe, didn't have the same feel, you know, for better and for worse. And so it's just like, oh, y'all just kind of paste it on a theme. And so how do you, how do, you do that? How do you make sure the board game version feels at least somewhat like the video game that it's based on well we wanted it to be we wanted each release to be really special uh and to really be uh an ode and to to really do the ips justice um we weren't really looking for something that uh that was a different take on the franchise it was kind of like Kind of like Super Smash Bros. I think that's a really, I know that might be cliche, but the idea, you know how Super Smash Bros. kind of unifies everything into a, a one universe. That's, but, but still, but each character retains their own qualities from their games. And there's tons of crazy deep uh, lore in each one. That's kind of like what we're, what we want to do, where uh, we're kind of taking, if you see like with our Mutant Muds, we actually uh, hand painted. Um, the new art styles taken from the sprites so all of the artwork is brand new uh and it's and it's uh, i'm so happy with how it turned out our art team did an amazing job and uh uh so uh with our next game uh with ukulele uh it's the same thing where we wanted to be like well what how could we put how can we make it so that ukulele and mutant muds can exist in the same realm from this you know, 12 bit, that's what they kind of call it, pixel uh, looking game to a fully 3D polygonal, you know, beautiful game. Uh, how do we put that together? So we we hand painted uh, the ukulele as well. And I'm, I'm really happy with that. But um, the design, and I'm sorry if I'm the, the, the original question that you, what was the original question we were talking about? 
<laughs> as far as like crossing over and, and making the board game version still feel the game, like exactly. the video game version. Yeah. Right. So for instance, uh, one of the, one of the coolest ways is with our, our mini games, uh, that we can let the, the, the things come through, uh, let the, the essences from the video game come through in, uh, Mutant Muds Deluxe. We have a platforming mini game. And the idea is every, everyone gets a character card. Every single game decks comes with four different characters and uh for and each character gets uh two player pieces one is for their their move around the board one of them is to count is to track their points on the point tracker and they also get a character card that's used with mini games and with other things and so we literally have a platforming game where there's a there's a there's a blinking platform from mutant muds that you know it's just one of those things that it goes on and it goes off goes on and then you have to you know if you land on it you got to make sure you jump quickly otherwise it'll disappear and you'll fall to spikes and kill yourself um so in our game we have three of these platform cards two of them are have platforms on them one of them has the blink like it's missed so it's it's like a see-through platform just like from the game and so you actually we you draw you shuffle those those three cards and you pick two of them and uh so one of them is worth one point, one of them is worth two points, and one of them is worth negative one point. So there's spikes on it. And basically, you, you shuffle them, you lay them down, and then each person takes a turn literally tossing their card on t- trying to land on and get points on their turn. So they're literally throwing their character onto a platform. And it's just it's it's amazing because you're taking these actual dexterity challenges and you're seeing this is like like I'm looking at mutant muds. It has the same background color from muds. It has the same platforms from it. This is like directly from the game, which is a big part of muds. It's a big part of of playing through that game and hitting these, uh, uh, you know, like the, the platforming. It's just almost all platforming with with some nice, uh, you know, uh, easy action uh, with uh, shooting action against the the monsters. But um. So like that's that's one area where it's fun to dive into it uh, in in Super Challenge in our second release. Um, in the Mutant Muds Super Challenge game, there are hidden uh, CDs around the levels, and if you find them, you unlock that track uh, to listen to in in the in a menu. And so I thought, wouldn't that be fun if we had a kind of like a a mystery game where you take the hidden there's a there's a hidden, you take everyone's character card and the mystery CD and someone shuffles it up and then you have to try to find it uh, through different ways. And so that's another way where there's that hidden CD mechanic uh, in there. Um, and then I guess I'll go to ukulele, which we definitely need to talk about more of. Uh, but uh, there are these other uh, parts of the game that we call gauntlets, gauntlets. And it, they have their own little icon. When you land on these, on the map, you are immediately transferred uh, tr- transferred to the gauntlet, which is a kind of like a, a little mini game board to the side. And it's basically a straight line and you immediately attempt to roll and you go through that, that you, you, you just keep rolling until you either hit a spike or, or a plot or, or hit a gap in the platforms and fall, or you reach the end of the goal. Um, and then you get rewarded. So, uh, in ukulele, we have our Glitter Glaze Glacier uh, uh, gauntlet, and that's a level from ukulele. Um, in the book, you actually are 
you go to these things called, you know, they're, they're books, the grand tomes, and you get warped to these levels through there. You kind of get sucked into the into the fairy tale, right, into the story, and you warp to uh, these different levels. And one of them is kind of winter based, and it's Glitter Glaze Glacier. It's my favorite level from the game. So we actually took the platforms for, featured in that section of ukulele and we put them in our gauntlet um and the fun thing is that uh the point of ukulele the video game is to collect pages that's kind of like the ultimate goal at the end of the level collect the pagey the more you get the more levels you unlock you beat the boss at the end um in our game it's the same you got to collect pages that spawn around the tabletop board um if you make it through the gauntlet at the end you can warp to the pagey and the amazing part about this, and this is so deep, that only could that could only ha- this could only be communicated through a, a long podcast like this, <laughs> which is uh, it's funny because in the speedrunning community, the Glitter Glaze Glacier level is actually used to speedrun, and that's exactly what we did with the gauntlet. Here is we could speedrun the gauntlet to get to the pagey. And of course, I don't know if anyone would ever get that, but that's the level of detail that's featured <laughs> in our game decks, uh, you know, capturing kind of the essences from the games and putting it in our tabletop game. Yeah, it's really cool. And it sounds like, and, and it just kind of seems to me, that it's both a tough box to live in when you're trying to make a board game version of a video game because there, there is a certain degree of expectation that anyone who's played the video game, they expect to see certain things, feel certain experiences, certain vibes from the board game version. And so that can be tough to replicate, especially mm-hmm. because you're going from video game, which is very different as, as far as digital. And then now you're over in the analog space. But at the same time, you have a lot of opportunities to come with, come up with fun and clever ways to translate things over. And then it, it's gotta be a lot of fun too. When, when players play it and someone looks at it and they go, Oh, this is just like the uh, the speed run thing. Oh, okay. And they like they catch it. Like they get little Easter right. eggs. And they, they exactly they pick up on that. That's got to be a, a lot of fun. It it really is, and that's that's what I love. Um, is the beautiful part of our games is you don't have to like you don't have to know about the franchises to play these games, and you will get them. Uh, but if you do know them, it's all the better. I mean, it really is just that really fun. You can already feel that sense. Um, I love that there's different characters around the board featured from the game. Uh, enemies is a very prevalent part of the game where you can get upgrades. And essentially, you la- like in our games, le- normally it's you land on an enemy. You'll see what your dice roll requirement is to beat them. Just a simple, you know, this is the enemy. You need to roll a three or higher to beat it. Roll three, boom. And then it tells you how many points you get. Okay, I got two points for that. Beautiful. And then sometimes some of them who are tough, uh, if you don't, meet that requirement and you fail they might even attack you and you might lose a point and so all these icons are are uh universal in our system uh but those enemies are so fun to look at and go oh man i forgot about those enemies from the game like in the later part of the game and and seeing all them realized on the board uh it's just a lot of fun seeing that yeah, for sure. And that's one thing that I was going to ask about as far as like accessibility and your target audience. Mm. Are you really going for people who are familiar with the video game and aren't really gamers, like board gamers yeah. necessarily? They play Monopoly, they play that kind of stuff, but they haven't played Blood Rage or any of the like gamer style games. Is that kind of who you're going for? Because that's definitely going to change your design choices. So absolutely. So th- that was one of the biggest things in th- when we work with devs. So a big difference between tabletop gamers and video gamers and 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 i 
you let me know if this is way off base, but tabletop, I mean, a big piece is, 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 you know, you sit down with a new game and you got to read how to play it. You get, then there's a book of, of rules and everything. And that's just part of the, that's part of the tabletop lifestyle, right? Is like, read it, figure it out. And then, you know, the more games you play, the more you realize, you know, the terminology on stuff and you can get it better and, and it's fine. It's great. And then once you get it, oh, it's, it's, Nothing can beat that magic that happens on tabletop. Well, you know, in stark contrast to video gamers, they need to be led, you know, and they need a really good uh, intuitive tutorials. But like you said, I mean, tabletop games are literally analog or manual video games. Invite, you know, and and then you could say video games are just automated tabletop games. Uh, and so that barrier is very interesting uh, in how we want to create a game that's weak that you can play without a big, um, without a big open, like without, without reading a book first. And I'm not saying that all tabletop games are like that, but that's definitely on our, on our, on the, on our mind, uh, when we were making it. Yeah, for sure. And the rule book is easily in the top three barriers to entry for new players. And even people who love like gamer style games, they get that 20 page rule book and it's it's hard. You got to sit there. You got to read it. You got to cross reference yeah. it. There's typos like there's all sorts of things that are just the barrier to entry. And one, one good thing about video game is you can just upload a, uh, a patch and fix the typos. You can fix the bugs, whereas a board game, you just printed 5000 copies and all of them have the same bug and there's nothing you can do about it. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, that's obviously a, a big, big difference. But um, it, have you also found it's just a, a different kind of player i mean you're also making party games which is also very different from someone who is interested in the kind of heavy euro games or heavier gamer style games i feel like that also could create a, a pretty good difference in your your target audience mm-hmm. and so anything else you found as far as like play testing and maybe playing with people who've only ever played monopoly and uno versus playing with people who've played you know 500 different gamer style games have you found sure. any interesting differences Oh man, it is such a blast. Um, so absolutely. So I, I've the, I love the Monopoly Uno crowd, right? Uh, that they're super fun to play with. Uh, and they're usually the ones that are super, um, they're having lots of fun, uh, light fun and, and, uh, they're really enjoying every new aspect and, and they're kind of impressed with every thing that they've seen every, uh, uh, they, they get, sucked into the strategy on a light level which is really fun and and then like you know i've played with tons of of people that are you know D players uh and they come in and they have the same reaction and it's also fault they have, they have all these amazing ideas for games and that's so much fun for playtesting. and that's what i love about ta- about tabletops is that the house rules right you can do whatever you want that's what i love about it like like you can make your own rules and and we can say, hey, you know what? For this game, uh, we have this movable space that comes with the, each game comes with their own unique little uh, uh, movable. Uh, we call them token cards. There's and uh, and you can place it on the map. And we 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 were playing ukulele once and we're like, hey, what if we every time we land on this one? And by the way, it's a cannon called Blasto. When you land on it, you get to automatically roll again and, and it blasts you forward. That's the idea. Um, Every time we use that, the person who landed on it gets to take it up and move it somewhere else. And they can put it anywhere they want. 
And it was so much fun. I mean, just that little change was just like, this is amazing. And that's that's what we get from those different kinds of players is you'll get different ideas, um, uh, different questions and different ideas from both sets. It's it's really fascinating to me. Yeah, it's interesting. And that's the thing about D&D players. They are natural craftsmen. Like they come into yeah. a game thinking, hey, how are we going to change this? Because D&D is like the rules are, are very much uh, more like guidelines for sure. And so, yeah, that can be a lot of fun. Now, when uh-huh. it comes to price point, you know, this is different because you can charge $100, $150, $200 for a gamer game full of plastic minis and all sorts of craziness. Mm-hmm. And people will spend stupid money on Kickstarter for that kind of stuff. But with your target audience, and especially if you're going to be bundling the, the board game with something else, what are you having to think about as far as like component restrictions and price restrictions and, and stuff like that? So we are, we want to, we want to never be predictable. We want to do cool things with every release, unique things, new things with everything. Um, so what, what I think to me at the core of what game, I think my favorite feature of game decks is the fact that it's a it's a game it's a fully featured tabletop game that fits in a in a game in a four by three deck of cards um to me that is that is the number one and so uh the beautiful part is we have cards that instead of a a thicker cardboard mat we have cards that either modular that you can spin around and and make um and uh so but so i but then you know the the worst part that's you know uh, from a producer standpoint from us is we are so limited on space in there i mean obviously uh and so it's but the fun thing with all game design is once you know your limits then you can basically design infinitely and i know that sounds crazy but it's it's the truth when you're when you're developing a video game it's like there's so many different bars you have to set like hey how, how many objects can we put in here and still maintain 60 frames per second uh you know and and that how how big can our levels be um how big can blah you know blah 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 uh and then once you have that you're like okay awesome i just needed to know what my limits were like how many players can be online at the same time in this thing is it three is it a thousand you're sitting there and you're kind of aimless with like what what am i gonna do like i i i don't even like i have the vision of what my game's gonna be but since i don't really know our limits it's kind of hard to like to actually finalize and so we were doing a game and it was like okay we landed on six six players perfect okay now that we know and just like in game decks okay now that we know there are four players and that there are and by the way when you combine multiple decks you can play with as many players as you want which is a lot i mean four for each each uh each game deck um and but once you know your limits then you can suddenly start designing uh tons and we have thousands of prototypes of stuff that we're going to be putting in our games that's going to completely change you know 3d uh uh components that will transform how you play um uh different kinds of i mean different dice uh miniatures i mean tons of different things that we are looking into in the future for doing you know just any like a timer or a spinner or anything like that uh stuff that's uh, hand designed to fit in that package but also just doing expansion packs as well but um i love that challenge design also i love the challenge of of here is uh what's included um in the set uh this is how many cards we have so what can what kind of games can we make just with these cards i mean 
let's, you know, and what can we do? How can we change it up? And so I'm really excited about our new, um, our new, uh, genre that we're going to be launching with a, with a really awesome IP, uh, pretty soon. Uh, I'm really excited to see people's reactions to that. Cause it's, it's a lot different in scope. Um, and that's a lot of fun. So, but again, I, I think the limits is where you can, you know, that's where your creativity can, can really grow the most, which is ironic in some ways, but it makes sense. I, I guess a lot of people use the, they use the star Wars as the, uh, as that example of that. I mean, I, I'm not a huge star Wars guy, uh, but you know, like the idea, like the first three films are known to be everyone's favorite for the most part. Um, and a lot of people say, because you know, George Lucas was limited on his budget and blah, blah, blah. And so he had to work within his means. And then suddenly afterwards he has an unlimited budget and that doesn't make ne- necessarily make things better, you know? So. Yeah, for sure. And I definitely agree. Uh, as far as like, once you know the box that you live in, things get a little bit easier. One, it's not nearly as overwhelming because yep. not because not everything is possible. And that's a good thing. You, you are limited in certain ways. And even if you think about from the video game world, you know, back in the day, it didn't take three years for a game to be made. You know, back in the day when they were very limited in the processing power and the number of pixels and bits and all that kind of stuff. Games came out a lot faster and they could develop games much sooner than mm. today where you have a triple A game. It might take three, four years before anyone ever sees it. And then they launch it and it's still got a bunch of bugs in it. And so, you know, it's oh, interesting yeah. how that's, that's just kind of, kind of part of it. Uh, and so let's, let's kind of keep talking about the, the translating things over you mentioned art earlier and talked about how you didn't want to include like sprites from the game. You wanted to kind of repaint the mm-hmm. art and have a very custom way to do it. And I think that's really smart with what you're doing because it's a platform. And so you can make all the art, look similar yeah. as opposed to you know, exactly not. but if you if you were just doing a one-off right a game only a board game only based on one video game it's not going to have all these other games coming in and interacting with it then would you do the sprite work i mean it's got to be cheaper to do it that way so tell me like is it ever in your mind like a good idea to just you know, do screen grabs oh so i would I, i'm not going to say that we'll we'll never do that um that's not a deal breaker with us uh, we just love it, it kind of exactly like what you said. Like, I don't want it to be a stark contrast between stuff so that everything can kind of exist in a similar world. Uh, the style, like the shapes of our spaces. So we, we went specifically game decks went for a mid century classic board game feel so that uh, on the, at the core so that everything on top of that, everything from the IPs, are what can boost out and can can give each game its own unique identity. But the cool thing is, is that they still are in tandem with each other so that they don't look drastically different. They're all hand painted and really cool looking. So um I but of course the other thing is like, you know, if if something is crucial to a game's identity, uh, and like let's say if a developer really wanted to do it, you know, I mean that's a conversation we'd have. Uh, and there might be a really good reason to, you know, so um, I'm really happy with our, I mean, again, the, I guess, theoretically, if we we're doing a one-off game designing that uh, it's, it's interesting because it kind of shows like, it's like what you just said, like, just get a screen grab, you know, I mean, it kind of like when you see the same, you see that it, I feel like there's a lot more work that goes into it. You can see the uniqueness. It's kind of like a cool piece of art um from the game from the new one so i think that uh uh new takes especially i love when we do our pixel stuffed when we uh, render out things hand painted um i love seeing uh because that can be 
that can be taken in in an infinite amount of ways. Uh, you know how how a character you know if a character's face is four pixels wide, you don't really know what his face looks like. <laughs> so when it's painted, it's fun to see what it looks like. So um, there's I, there's there are absolutely um, times in uh, where I could see us using direct art from the game, uh, but. As for now, everything's working out really cool with our hand-painted style. Yeah, for sure. And it, it reminds me of like Super Nintendo games where, like you're saying, the character is three or four pixels wide in his face. But then on the cover of the game, you see kind of this ideation of what totally. he would look like. And I remember Chrono Trigger that they got the mm-hmm. artist for Dragon Ball Z to do the characters. And so Chrono uh, looks like uh, looks like Goku. you know. And so there's yeah. like, interesting things yeah. you can do. For sure, when you turn it into illustration and not just use the uh, the pixel art. Yeah, and 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 what's fun is like, and you can see with ukulele, um, like we definitely don't want people to look at this game and not realize what game it is. You know, like that's the beautiful part is, and like with mutant muds, that was a bigger contrast because that was pixel to painting. Um, but still, I think even at a distance, you can know that if you know mutant muds, that is like I know for a fact that's mutant muds. Same proportions, same color. You know. It's, uh, and same with ukulele, where there's a few little added features. Like uh, if you look at like ukuleles uh, on his snout, he kind of has this cool textured thing that we added, and just little things like that. It's fun, but um, and the layouts all redesigned on the cover and everything. But we definitely want to maintain the identity of the game. That's kind of the fun idea. It's like what would a tabletop platform of what would a board game platform for uh, for video games look like and, and feel like. And so, um, and I'm, you know, but we can always go and do, you know, all of our games are based off actual video games, but like, for instance, we could do something that was unique, completely unique, um, for a certain video game. Like if we were to do like, I don't know, like take any sort of video, like Mario, just for instance, and say, you know, Mario's, uh, uh, block builders, you know what I mean? Whatever. I mean, it could be a separate, unique release as well. But right now, we're really having fun with the idea that these are these look like the video game releases as well. Right, that makes a lot of sense. All right, so when it when it comes to identifying properties, identifying games that you want to pitch or you want to turn into board games, tell me about that process. What does it look like? As far as, especially if, if I'm just some random person, can I even do this? Like, do I even have access to send these people an email, even like a small indie video game publisher? Like, how would I do that? Tell me your process, any of that kind of thing. So like, like, what do you mean? Like, like if you wanted to do like, what? Like yeah. What, so let's say I, I have a video game that, that I play all the time on Steam. I've got this really cool idea to turn it into a board game. What do I do next? Is it even possible to reach out to this company and say, hey, I've got a board game version. Can we figure out a deal? Like, Oh, how does that yeah. work? And then how does it how did it work specifically in your case? I know you reached out to you know people you already had relationships with and things like that. But mm-hmm. kind of give me a more of a behind the scenes look at what does it look like just from the kind of pitching process of okay, I've got a board game idea. Now what as far as reaching out to these companies? Yeah, I mean it's definitely it's I mean there's a million variables, so it's not super simple because you kind of have to like you you need to put thought and design and uh, into a presentation to show and you want to, cause you want to impress them right off the bat. You want them to, under, you don't, you want, you don't want them to have to do any work to, uh, to try to understand what the final concept is. You want to do as much of that work for them as possible now. Uh, and then I was going to say, and, and you know, 
you got to be careful though, because you know you can you don't want to put too much into it when they have when they can't even do it because the rights of their game were for their tabletop games were sold to someone else. That's happened plenty of times with us, you know, where we have this idea, we get into it, and like, oh, actually, we can't do this because uh, we actually someone else holds the rights to to release tabletop games, you know. So that's you got to be always prepared for that. You got to be prepared that you know they might have one in the development right now, and what does that mean against yours? Uh, but absolutely reach out as best you can. You have to understand that these these are people. Um, they love fans. They love uh, people thinking about different things. Um, I mean, obviously, if you have a plan of how you could do it, uh, you absolutely go for it. D- nothing should stop you. Um, you find that contact info. You find how you can how you can get to it um, through Twitter DMs or through through emails or from their site, and just get to someone. And that is absolutely I. I would say anyone can do it, but the thing is, it's just like, you know, do you want to do it? Do you have the idea? What is the hook of the game and and everything? I would just, um, I would, I would definitely not approach them without a fully uh, uh, thought out plan. Right, and you probably want a workable prototype, and you you definitely want to show them that you're serious. And I've talked to some people that have wanted to travel down this road, and they ran into the problem of they had never. published a game before. And so that video game company is like, well, we don't really trust you because you don't have a track record. And mm-hmm. so maybe you go publish some other games and then come back. And so that's another thing to think about is, are you a legitimate seeming company? And if you're not, for whatever reason, uh, it's going to be an even harder road to uh, to travel down. Mm, absolutely. So another thing I'm curious about is, and you don't have to get into specifics and num- numbers or anything like that, but when it comes to like paying for rights, is this something where the video game company gets a percentage of every sale. Is it something where you pay a fee every year to have access to the rights? How, how does the the money, the contracts out of things work out just in general? Yeah, it's a licensing agreement. They get a percentage of each sale um, that the, the IP owners do. Yeah. Okay, gotcha. So, and then that's just something you negotiate through yep. the contract phase? Gotcha. Absolutely, yeah. Gotcha. And I guess that also depends on the company. I, I, I guess they could do whatever they want. I know the NFL, yep. I've talked to some people who have companies that um, they have rights to the NFL license, and they talk about how the, the just the astronomical fee that they have to pay every single year, January 1st, the NFL comes knocking and says, hey, we want our money, and they have to pay it. And so they have a huge huh. incentive to get games constantly published because if they yeah. don't, they still have to pay the fee. It's not like, oh, well, we didn't publish the game, but you know, so we don't have to pay you your percentage. The NFL is like, no, no you owe us this six figure amount, no matter what. <laughs> so it right. also just depends on, oh, yikes. The, on the company. Well, we got nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't imagine when you get into the, like star Wars, uh, Harry Potter, or some of these just insanely massive IPs. Yeah. I can't imagine. Cause they can, they can negotiate whatever they want. I mean, they don't yep. need you by any stress of the imagination. And so, yeah, the, the deals definitely favor those companies, Disney and all that. So, mm-hmm. Well, cool. All right. So anything else from the like publishing side, the business side, anything you, that you ran into that was kind of unexpected or you're like, oh, this is interesting. I didn't think about that. Anything from those, you know, those kind of things. Oh, just what you hear about all the time with manufacturing. Manufacturing never goes as, as, as planned. Um, and, uh, and just prototyping and just the hoops you got to jump through of communication with all these different parties is really hard sometimes. Um, and, uh, and not only that, but juggling multiple games at once, uh, having them be, uh, having them be compatible, uh, you know, getting our, it's everything, everything you can imagine 
it is a lot of work. I mean, it is a ton, ton of work. Um, and so, I mean, but and on top of that, it's a lot of fun. And that's the beautiful part is it's just a really fun process, the whole thing. But um, you definitely have to be uh, thinking outside the box, pun intended, uh, for everything. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's nothing in particular that I, I could really speak too much about. But, uh, you know, uh, you just got to stay on top of things, essentially. Right. Because you're, you're not just accountable to you and your company and your fans. You're also accountable to this other company that might be pretty substantially larger than your own company. So mm -hmm. tell me a little bit more about that as far as like the review process. I have a friend who designed a game based on Titanic, the movie, and they approached him and they said, hey, we want you to design this game. And it kind of worked out really well. But he was telling me about just the kind of crazy review process that these companies have sometimes because your game represents them. And so you want to make sure everything lines up and the, the lore is correct and the way things work. And so tell me about the process of kind of going back and forth with the video game yeah. company as they make sure that, you know, everything stays on brand. Oh, absolutely. So again, uh, we, you know, we design everything internally. Uh, we, uh, everything obviously is 100%, um, finalized and okayed with the IP. Um, uh, publisher uh, for the most part actually we've kind of designed everything and they've been like yeah this is awesome 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 maybe a little ideas here and there but they are they've been really happy everyone we've worked with has been really happy with our um with our game design and so what we do is just we have everything uh we meet with them uh give them updates uh, we play with them sometimes uh via like tabletop simulator and uh we show them games and uh it's it's been a delight so far honestly uh because essentially we show them the the rough the the rough game this is the just the game and then it needs to be balanced and we'll play it tested and then it's going to be altered accordingly and with some other things so um people sign on to it early so like yeah like do you understand this is the gist of it uh everything is going to be okayed by you and then we'll keep and then we'll uh we'll go from there and see uh and you know, and, and then we'll present you with the final game. You look at it and they say either giddy up or nay. And uh, they haven't said either. So, uh, I mean, they haven't said nay that <laughs> they, they've, they've only been giddy up. So uh, it's been pretty fun in that sense. But uh, that just goes to show the work that our team puts together um, to really make it as special as we can and to tie the IP as close as possible and a vast knowledge of what goes on with that IP. Um, uh, and becoming super fans of that IP, which is awesome because we usually are from the get go. So uh, it's fun to learn even more about these franchises. Yeah, absolutely. All right. From a marketing standpoint, is this something where the video game company is going to help you? They're going to put out emails to their newsletter whenever your game comes out because, you know, as, as you win, they win too, especially if they're making a percentage. Is this something that they typically kind of help with? Oh, for sure. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the utilize we all we work together. Our marketing departments work together. Community managers work together on our um, campaigns and on our ways to uh, promote. Uh, you know, if these companies have worked with Kickstarters, um, their email list, their email groups, their Twitter following. Uh, you know, limited runs. You know, because it's fun because we kind of always got three companies going. We have our user base. Uh, we have uh, limited runs, uh, and then we have the the video game. So there's those big three, and then any 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 people 
you know, and that's just outside of the reviewers that we send to the YouTubers, the podcasts that we go on, stuff like that. So, um, yeah, we get full support from everyone. That's a that's a big part of the idea from the get go. Yeah, and I imagine that's super helpful because, I mean, some of these video game franchises are huge. They probably have massive email lists. They have huge followings online. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, yeah. It's yeah. awesome. The, the, I mean, like the, the barrier there is is that is that getting people to think about tabletop gaming because it's just not part of their world. It's not I they don't sit down and play. I mean, they're they're video gamers are video gamers and they and even just like from certain consoles that they play, um, you know, it's just kind of like it's just kind of like if a game's coming if you're a PlayStation player and there's an exclusive coming out for Xbox, you're just I mean Yes, you might read about it and think that's kind of cool, but the idea is I can't even play that. I don't play Xbox games, so it's not in my wheelhouse. Well, take that to the next degree where these are people that go, I don't play tabletop games. So, you know, it's getting them through that first barrier to see how like how awesome this is from the get go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so tell me more about your plan, like your marketing strategy for getting these people who aren't board gamers per se and trying to get them to come over and test the waters. How do you do that? Well, that's the fun part. I mean, that's what we're starting to get into a lot right now uh, is meeting with them, explaining to them. It's really all communication. And you've probably, you probably know this. Most things in life is communication. Uh, it's, it's explaining how things are cool, how stuff works and uh, how accessible is it? So uh, we meet with a lot of people um, and we talk with them. Uh, hang out with them, show them the game. And of course, you know, the 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 whole uh, COVID stuff makes things really tough now where we were really looking forward to going to events and meeting with people. Uh, but that'll be fun when it when it comes back. And uh, um, so right now it's it's really the communication uh, to players about and how accessible it is. Uh, and how they work together. I mean, that's really the biggest part, and, and really for anyone, tabletop gamers and video gamers, is showing them how it works. Um, maybe how how it's similar to games that they've played. You know, uh, again, that's that's another big part. Um, and how how the IP uh, is represented, uh, how deep it is represented in this game and in the packaging, and how shiny can we make the packaging? That's really the biggest part. <laughs> how how can we make it look like they just need to they just need to buy this and and uh, eat it? That's that's what we're kind of going for. We're trying to make it look like candy. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It, it is what it is. Clarity is king, and the more you can kind of stand out on the shelf or online or through a Facebook ad or something like that, the mm-hmm. better off you're going to be. Well, Perry, this has been yeah. great. Anything else that you know stands out to you from designing these games, publishing these games, anything along those lines? I'm really excited to to dive into different genres, um, see what get like you know the idea of these established IPs that are out there. What kind of game would that work for? You know, uh, we're in, we're in development of a dungeon crawler design of tactics uh, based designs, um, along with party games and, and others as well. Um, a lot of crazy things that you're not even gonna. I mean. I'll tell you about it after done recording, but I, cause I don't, I don't want to make it public just yet, but, uh, crazy things. It's just like, what, like, how does that work? Um, trying to think out of that way. So I'm really excited to bridge the gap between, uh, video and tabletop gamers. Uh, uh, and I, not that I'm saying that there, there's a huge gap or that people haven't already bridged that gap, but I really want, uh, I'm excited to build this platform, 
uh, and to see uh, what games, and I can't wait for our next games to come out and to see what people think of them and, and, uh, and really super fans of these games to really, I'm hoping it's, it's just a great stopgap for it's such a great um, product that we can sell in both video games and tabletop uh, uh, markets and in storefronts and everything. So it's going to be fun. The next year is going to be insane. So, yeah, for sure. And I see a lot of value in what you're doing because the more people that are video gamers that you then turn into board gamers as well, the more likely they are to buy games that I make and and friends of mine make, right? So even mm-hmm. though like a lot of us aren't making these kind of bridge the gap games, once those people get in, like I've never heard of someone buying one board game. Like it just doesn't happen. It's like eating one Pringle. Right. Like you're going to eat the whole can. And so once people can get into the hobby, a lot of times they'll go out and they'll find a lot more games to, to fill up their shelves. And so I see a lot of value in bringing people in through this way. And, and I really wish you the best of luck. I hope it just you know turns out Thank really, you. really well. Yeah. I'm, we're really excited about it. Very cool. And so, all right, you got a game in pre-order right now. So tell me about that one. Where can people find it? All that. Yes. Everyone should check out limitedrungames.com. Uh, we have ukulele uh, available right now. Um, and this is, and there are multiple ways to get it. There's a special edition gold version. That's that is going to be your ultra rare that you can get in our big mega pack. That's bundled with a uh, our a graphic novel by our friend Dave Cumbo. Uh, just a beautiful, beautiful book that you guys should all check out from Dream Prism. Uh, everyone should look that up. And uh, but yeah, Limited Run is selling a an exclusive. Uh, variant uh really beautiful cover of that game and it's also selling our our exclusive gold uh version of ukulele with and that comes with a uh a green dice and uh different uh special colored player pieces that are only available in there so there are some differences in the game as well um in what's inside and uh it's also being bundled with uh an album that we actually produced called capital b-sides it's a it's a it's a soundtrack for our game uh, produced in the style of ukulele. Uh, completely original. These aren't uh, remixes. These aren't redos. These are brand new uh, themes, uh, brand new designs based off of what we took from ukulele uh, and are accented in our tabletop game. And we are so happy with how it's a full 10 track album. Super happy with how it turned out. Um, so that's all. That's all that is available at limited run games. You can also just buy our game uh, uh, separately, uh, uh, the standard version, uh, and it's all open pre-order right now. So get in there if you want, if you're interested. And uh, yeah, we're uh, we. You can also check out our our website, uh, gamedex.fun, and that's dex d e c k s. Um, uh, a lot of people think it's d e x, you know, Dame De- game dex because it just sounds so zippy. But that's not is. what I thought you were going to say. But I'm glad. That oh that's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's E C K S, um, and uh, uh, you can check out our past releases there: Mutant Muds and Mutant Muds, uh, Mutant Muds Deluxe, Mutant Muds Super Challenge, and then ooh, in the future coming up, we're gonna have even more craziness happening. So keep uh, you can also sign up for our mailing list there to be uh, to be uh, informed, and, and I, I would just in, I would highly encourage people to reach out if uh, you know to to us, uh, you know, Twitter or email for ideas and for, you know, uh, for games you think would be video games, it would be a great treatment with us and ideas. So we'd love to talk and everything. So, uh, any, any and all is encouraged. Awesome. Well, Perry, really appreciate your time. Really appreciate you joining me here 
on the show. Good luck with the pre-order and more games coming in the future and everything else you got going on right now. Thank you, Gabe. Thanks for listening. Hosting for the Board Game Design Lab podcast is sponsored by Quartermaster Logistics, the leader in crowdfunding fulfillment and warehousing. Check them out at qmlogistics.com and find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at boardgamedesignlab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting?